Welcome to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church. We're going to continue on this morning in spiritual mountaineering. So this is where Pastor Mike had started us, knowing our assignments, believing it, and then achieving them. So, and today we're going to do the Christmas version of this. So um, the word that came to mind as I was doing it, oops, don't want to go that far. Surprise, surprise, don't want to ruin your surprise, is Christmas expectations. So we're going to look at some people today who had an expectation about what that first Christmas was like. And I know for me as a kid, I had a lot of expectations at Christmas. Did you? I remember the Sears wish book and the big book of toys from Toys R Us. And we would just look and meander over that for hours, making our list, writing it down. And then, uh, you know, for some of us, we would go visit Santa and give him our list or mail off a list. For others, we'd present that to the people that loved us the most and uh, always dropping hints along the way. But there was a great expectation about what Christmas was going to be like. And um, I thought as we are little, the greatest thing that happens at Christmas is what we get. And as we get older, our expectation is on what we can give because of the amazing gift that Christ has. He is our hope of glory. He is our hope. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about. We know from the last few weeks that the enemy's plans for us, the enemy's plans for us is to distract, divert, and destroy like he's constantly sending things, especially at Christmas time. We're like barraged with everything that has to be done, all the things that need to come into alignment, everything that needs to happen. And sometimes as parents or adults, Christmas can be a stressful time and it can get on our last nerve. <laughs> I don't know, has anyone else experienced that except me? So, um, But the enemy comes to take us off our assignment. But even right now, even at this season, we have an amazing assignment. Because God's plan for us is to come and give us hope and expectation. So I was looking at these two words, because like we use those kind of interchangeably. We use the word hope and we use the word expectation, kind of like they're the same word, but they're two different words, so they must have some different meaning. And as I looked up hope in the dictionary, it said that it's a feeling of expectation and a desire for something certain to happen. So hope has attached with it feeling. Like, I feel hopeful. I hope this is going to happen. So... Um, My son's graduated college yesterday. Yay! (laughs) I hoped it was going to (laughs) happen. We got there, and I got to tell you, I opened the book, the commencement book. So both of them were graduating at the same time, two hours apart from each other. So my dad had gone to one, I'd gone to the other, but I had great expectation that both were going to cross that finish line. They were going to move the tassel from the right to the left. They were going to be graduated. Um, I went hopeful. And as we sat there in the commencement ceremony, you're given this book, and I was at IU Bloomington, and there's thousands of graduates. So there wasn't the hope that he was going to walk across the stage there. He was just going to get to stand up and move his tassel. So you could see those pictures on Facebook. Anyways, so... I grab the book and I'm looking all through the book for my son's name because I have a hope that it's going to be there. And there's no name in the book. I'm like, oh no, is he really graduating? 
is, is my son graduating? Like, I know he's here. I know he paid his money for his cap and gown. I, I'm sitting next to his lovely girlfriend, and I'm like, is he graduating? So my feelings of hopefulness went to feelings of hope. I hope, I hope, I hope. And uh, come to find out, he just paid his fee late, and that's why his name wasn't in the book. But... <laughs> So if you're a college graduate, pay your fees on time so your mama can see your name in the book. Um, but all that is feelings. Like, hope is based on a feeling. Hope is based on a feeling. But expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. So now for my son, Luke, who I went to see, I hoped, I, I just thought it's never going to be a problem. I didn't even think to consider the book. Now my son, Drew, he, he keeps me praying. <laughs> and I let both my sons keep me praying. But, but Drew is my laid back child. And if you know me, I'm not super laid back. So he is a challenge to me, but it is such a blessing that he is laid back. Like his personality is amazing and wonderful and uh, much needed in my life. But for him, I had to go beyond just a feeling of, I hope he's going to graduate to an expectation. So I had to pray and get an expectation from God. Like, I had to know and believe this was going to happen. And, and Terry can attest to this because she heard many a conversations like, he says it's going to happen. He says everything's turned in. Let's just see if he crosses the finish line. And uh, God had, I was praying one day, and God gave me a picture of him graduating with like snowflakes in the air. So I'm like, it is gonna be winter. He is doing it this season. This is gonna be done. And he did, he did. And it was lovely and it was great. And he got everything in on Friday so he could graduate on Saturday. Don't you love that? So uh, <laughs> we all have different personalities. And his name was in the book. I'm just saying, like I looked his up when I got home. But my dad got to go see him walk across the stage, hear his name be called, and we all shouted hallelujah. Because I had an expectation with Drew. I had a hope with Luke. So there's feelings and there's strong beliefs. So even when my feelings didn't line up for Drew that he's going to graduate, because like the circumstances didn't look like it. There were so many obstacles he had to do, but he persevered. But that expectation, that vision that God had given me of the little snowflakes <laughs> when I was praying was my expectation. And often I'd come back to that expectation and I'd say, you're going to do this, God. I don't see how you're going to have him do 19 concerts in two and a half weeks, but you're going to do this. This is going to happen. And it did. <laughs> Praise God. So that's, that's the difference between hope and expectation. Lamentations 3.21 talks about, but this I call to mind and therefore I hope that the Lord's mercies are new every day and his faithfulness is great. Uh, if you remember the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, it comes out of that. But it's recalling to mind those things so that you can have that hope, you can have that expectation that what God said he will bring to pass. And we have stuck and camped in Psalm 27 for the last Last year and a half, and it's in verse 13, it says, I would have lost hope unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That seeing is that expectation. It's going beyond just the, I hope this will happen, but it's having that expectation attached to hope that it is going to come to pass. So uh, as we continue on in spiritual mountaineering, Meandering does not lead to mountaineering. 
So sometimes we just kind of meander around, and, but we don't make any progress. We're just kind of going around the base of the mountain. But God is calling us to go up and take our mountain, like Caleb and Joshua who took their mountain, who took hold of what God had, those promises that he had. And uh, my parents used to always say that you'll get what you expect. So if you expect nothing good's going to happen, nothing good's going to happen. If you expect that good things are going to happen, you'll get good things that are going to happen. If you have low expectations for someone, they're going to meet them. If you have high expectations, they're going to meet them. My son Drew, we still had that same expectation, and he rose to the occasion because we had high expectations. And so sometimes we set our expectations too low, saying, what can I do instead of what does God want to do? We need to get our expectations from God of what he wants to bring into our lives. I love this definition, and it's kind of tiny there, so I'll read it for you. It was in a book called Expectation by Dr. Michael Brown, and it says, expectation is a rope to hope that will pull you out of despair and pull you toward your destiny. Sometimes we need that hope to just come and be lassoed around us to yank us up out of it. I needed that. You know, a few months ago, I needed that expectation from God when I didn't know how things were going to happen and I was stressing way too much. You know, I know the scriptures about casting all your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you, and I would attempt it. And uh, I know not to worry and just give it all to God, but in the thick of it, sometimes Sometimes we are very human. I am very human. And in that, I needed an expectation. I needed something firm I could hold on to. Sometimes that comes in a form of a scripture verse that no matter what, you just cling to. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But it's, it's that rope of hope that's going to pull you out of those places of despair in your life, and they're going to move you toward your destiny. Expectation is attentively focusing on the God-given mind picture which becomes that divine rope attached to your destiny of victory and success. I love that. I love that picture, that there is an attentive focus. And throughout, um, throughout the book of Luke, we're going to go to the book of Luke. If you want to open to that, you can. I'm going to read some passages from Luke 1, but we're going to spend most of our time in Luke 2. But in Luke 1, we see expectation. Mary had an expectation. She said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done unto me according to your word. And then the angel departed. So the angel came to her, spoke a promise that, Mary, you have been picked, you've been chosen, you've been highly favored, and God is going to impregnate you. You are going to be expecting with a baby, with the Messiah. And she believed, she believed, let it be according to me, according to your word. She took that word, she took that experience with the angel and she held on to it that this is going to happen. And then Elizabeth, who would have been her aunt, her cousin, her cousin, Cousin, thank you. Um, in Luke 145, blessed is she who has believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things that were told her from the Lord. And I just want to encourage you, if God's told you something from the Lord, blessed are you if you believe it, because there will be a fulfillment. Remember, you get what you expect. If God's spoken something to you, hold on to it as that rope to pull you up and to pull you out and to lead you into the thing that God has for you. He has great plans for you in every area of your life. God wants to come and give you an expectation. So we're going to continue on by setting the scene. 
And this is what sets the scene for where we're going to talk today. Now, Jesus has already been born. You're going to get to hear, we're kind of going in reverse order. So last week, Jesus, uh, Pastor Mike talked about when Jesus was like 12. I'm talking about when Jesus was a baby today. And next week, we're talking about when he was born. So it's like, just think you're going backwards a little bit. We're going back in time to get to where we want to go. But we are in Luke uh, 2.21. If you want to turn there, I see some of you got Bibles. That's awesome. You can have them on your phone too, and that's pretty cool. Let's see if that'll stay there. So I'm going to start reading, and then we're going to talk a little bit. But it says, The circumcision of Jesus, when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And going on in 22, Jesus is presented in the temple. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we're going to pause there for a second. So... Um, if you remember Samuel, we talked about Samuel and Hannah a while back, and there was the picture of when Hannah had her firstborn son, she presented Samuel to the Lord because he was holy unto the Lord. So there was written into the law in Leviticus, which is an Old Testament book of laws, um, there was written into Leviticus what was needed when someone had a baby. And there were certain laws that they had to do. So the first thing they had to do is on day eight, if it was a male child, they had to come to the temple and the child had to be circumcised. So we still practice that. Most people still have their sons circumcised today. And um, so that would happen at eight days old. And at eight days old is when they would be named. So they weren't named it wasn't like, oh, I just had this baby and his name is Jesus. It was, I had this baby, eight days later he's circumcised and he is called Jesus and that is his name. Then they would go back and they'd have to wait for a, for a boy, they had to wait an additional 33 days. If it was a girl, they had to wait 66 days. So um, from the time after these eight days. So um, it would be 40 days after the time Jesus was born, they had to come back to the temple and offer two sacrifices. So one was a burnt offering and one was a sin offering that was made on behalf of the mother. And um, if they, for the burnt offering, they were supposed to either bring a lamb or if they were poor, they would bring a pigeon or a dove. And um, as we read from the story, they didn't bring a lamb. So Joseph and Mary were poor. They weren't like the wealthiest people in the world. This was a humble little couple. And um, this was 40 days after he had been born. They come into the temple. And I think the number 40 is interesting. If you think about 40, it was 40 days a night that they were in the ark when it rained. And 40 days that Moses went up on the mountain with God. And 40 days, Elijah fasted and prayed. And then later in Jesus' life, it was 40 days that he was in the wilderness being tempted. And it was 40 days that he came and walked the earth after he arose from the dead and went into heaven. The burnt offering was given to signify that all that I am is given to the Lord. It was the all-in offering. So when they would give 
the, the burnt offerings, those were the all-in offerings. They were saying, here it is, all of him belongs unto the Lord. And then the sin offering was for restitution or cleansing of unintentional sin. And that was for the mother. So if anything had been passed on to the child, it was cleansed at that time. But we know that Jesus was pure, sinless, perfect son of God. So that paints the scene for where we're headed. And we are going to talk about Simeon and Anna. These are the two most important characters, I think, when we talk about expectation at Christmas is Simeon and Anna. They had an expectation that that led them to do pretty incredible things with their faith. Simeon was waiting for God's salvation. Going on in verse 25, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken to them. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That is Simeon. So here is Simeon. And who is Simeon? So some believe Simeon was an elderly man. Some translations say he's old. Some don't. So we really don't know, was he old, was he not? Historians believe that um, he was a rabbi, that he was part of the Sanhedrin, which would have been like the chief rulers in the church, like kind of our Supreme Court. He would have been a judge, and he would have been a teacher. And they also believe that his father was the head of this group of rabbis. He was the head of the Sanhedrin. Um, He was the top dog. And at that time, that was passed down through the family line. So Simeon would be the one to inherit that position of the top rabbi in Jerusalem. He did live in in Jerusalem. And another fun fact about him is it's believed that he was the father of Gamaliel, who was also a rabbi. And you might recognize that name from Acts when people were trying to figure out if Jesus what they should do with these followers of Jesus. Jesus had already risen from the dead, ascended to heaven, and um, Gamaliel was the one who stood up amongst the Sanhedrin. He, we have no record that he was a believer of Christ, but he said, if, if this isn't God, it'll go away over time. But if this is God, who are we to touch it? That was Gamaliel. And that is believed to be Simeon's son. 
So that's kind of a fun fact I learned this last week. He was just and he was devout. So he was just. He loved justice. He knew the law. He knew how it was supposed to be applied. And he was devout. He was religious beyond religious. These rabbis knew the laws and they had a lot of them. They had a lot for for dietary. Like even as I just read, there were laws about purification after you had a baby. So there was a lot of laws. And these rabbis were the ones that oversaw the enforcement of the laws. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, it said. He was watchful and he was waiting. He had his eyes open. He had studied the scriptures. He knew what they said. He knew a Messiah was coming. All of Israel knew the Messiah was coming, but he believed. He had an expectation from the Lord that he would see the Messiah before he died. And he held on to that hope. It said that the Holy Spirit was upon him. As we know, before, the, before Acts 2, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. It didn't indwell people and, at that time. So the Holy Spirit would come upon him. And the Holy Spirit led him to the temple that day. So he didn't live at the temple. He lived in the city. But that day, the Holy Spirit led him and put him in position at the temple. He was not going to miss his moment. You know, like... Lots of priests, lots of rabbis would be in and out of the temple coming and going. They'd see lots of babies come through. But that day, the Lord led him to that exact point so that when Jesus was presented, he was the one to give the blessing over the child. And he spoke those prophetic words that so many have talked about. And for us, the huge promises, he was a light to the Gentiles. That's us. We're the Gentiles. So we are still believing the words of Simeon because he was a just and devout man who allowed himself to be put in position. He had an expectation that he would see something and he believed it so strongly and pressed into it and God made it happen on his behalf. I think that's pretty cool. He seized his moment. It said he took Jesus in his arms and he declared the blessing. He prophesied over Jesus. Like, we don't have very many in the Bible who prophesied over Jesus. We don't have any other recordings of that. We know that Elizabeth declared things, Mary declared things before Jesus was born. But Simeon took the baby in his arms and blessed and prophesied over him. That's a moment. And then there's Anna. Anna's one of my favorite. Oops. Next slide. Sorry, the words are kind of tiny. Can you read them? Oh, I guess they're bigger up there. I like Anna. So you're going to hear about her a little bit. I think Hannah's pretty amazing. So it says, and there's not that much about her. So, but now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel. She was of the tribe of Asher, and she was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. We hear she's a prophetess. That's one thing we know from this. It says that she was a prophetess, meaning she heard from the Lord. And if you remember before this, there was a time of darkness. There was not much heard from the Lord for about 400 years, but she was a prophetess. She was hearing from God. She was the daughter of Phanuel. It meant she was from the tribe of Asher, 
which was like a little-known tribe. It wasn't like the big old Levites that were the priests. Or she was from the tribe of Asher. She would have been from Galilee. And if you remember in Jesus' life, they would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Galilee? That was Anna. <laughs> that was Anna. She was a widow. She was a widow. I want to go back. She was also the daughter of Phanuel. And this was really cool. So Phanuel is thought to be the same name as the place Peniel, which is where Jacob wrestled with God and wouldn't let go until he blessed him. So her heritage, her family lineage, was about wrestling with God and holding on in expectation, believing God was going to bless them. And that is who Anna was. She was a pretty tenacious woman, I think, and she'd had a hard life. She was married for seven years. We know that. And at that time, the girls would get married probably between some age of 13 and 15. So by the time, before she was ever 25, she was widowed. And in that culture, a widow had it pretty rough. They couldn't just go out and get work. Um, If you remember the story of Ruth and Boaz, she would go and glean in the fields waiting for her kinsman redeemer, which was the person that could marry her. Not everyone could marry her. So here is Anna, and she's a widow. No one's come to her rescue or aid. She finds herself single. She is either 84 years old, or (laughs) she's been a widow for 84 years, which would make her like over 100 years old, which is really, really old at that time. And, uh, but day and night, she didn't depart from the temple. Day and night, she served God with fastings and prayer. And it said that her dedication was beyond that of the Pharisees. It was beyond that of the regular priests. It was beyond that of the rabbis. Because it wasn't just the ritual fasting she would do, but day and night, she was always there. She didn't leave the temple. You know, they thought that maybe she had like a house or a room built into the temple. And some places call those sacristies and where they're attached or a parsonage that's attached to the church. And day and night, you would see her. You'd find her in there praying and believing and waiting for her Messiah. She was always ready. She was always waiting. And she was a witness. It says that she, in that instance, she gave thanks and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. I think some people probably had to believe Anna was quite crazy. So here's this widow living in the temple, fasting all the time, praying all the time, not marrying. She would have been really young. And, uh, but yet those that had that heart, those that were seeking for that Messiah knew who she was and she knew who they were. So that when she came upon Jesus being held by Simeon, she knew exactly who he was. She knew she had seen her Messiah. She knew that all those years, all those tears, all those prayers had finally been heard and the Messiah had come to rescue the people. I think that's so amazing, the story of Anna. Um, She was single. I want to talk a little bit about singleness. So singleness is an interesting beast. And um, I've been single six and a half years now. And it wasn't my plan. I I talk about being suddenly single. 
And if you had said I would be single six years, six years ago, I would have said no. <laughs> that was not my plan. My plan was like, okay, I was suddenly single, and one day my life flipped, and I went from being married with two children to being alone with two children. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything I expected. And I thought, okay, this is a blip on the radar. The Lord is my husband. I claimed all the scriptures from Isaiah 54 and uh, that says that he, he is the husband of the widow. And I took a hold of that. And it doesn't matter if it's death, if it's divorce, whatever it is. If you're single, you're single. <laughs> you're alone. And the Lord is there for you. He sets the solitary in families. And he is there for you. At that time, her widowhood would have been a curse. And sometimes in, in our church world, singleness, widowhood can feel like a curse. If you look at the average church, most people are in their families. Sunday morning was the hardest thing I ever came to when I was suddenly single. When I'd go to church and I'd see all the families sitting together and I'd sit there by myself and I'd look around and I just felt so alone. And people loved me. I had so much support and love and kindness, but at the same time, I felt so alone. And she would have been totally alone. But it isn't a curse. Your singleness is not a curse. No matter how you find yourself single, it is not a curse. And God has a purpose in it. God has a huge purpose in it. Statistically, almost 50% of adults are single. That doesn't play out as well in the church because the churches are all about families and most of the singles get frustrated and don't show up because they feel isolated or alone. But 50% of all adults are single, whether they've never married, whether they've um, been divorced, whether they've been widowed or widowers or um, whatever. That's the actual statistic. So um, it's interesting because 90, over 95% of all clergy are married. <laughs> so we don't hear a lot about singleness because of that. But this was a blessing. Paul talked about singleness. And Paul talked about if you're young and single and you want to marry, it's okay. <laughs> it's better to marry than to burn. That's what the word says. And, uh, but he said, I'm grateful that I'm mar not married because then it allows me to devote myself to the Lord and to the things that the Lord has brought into my life. So when you're married, you have to think about your family. If you have children, you have to think about your children. But if you're single, you just have the Lord. And she found herself in this place where she could devote everything to the Lord. We don't know if she wrestled with that. We don't know if she wanted to find a husband and didn't or if she found peace. But in my journey, I would have to think that she probably wrestled with it. I doubt that was what she wanted. <laughs> After having been married seven years, I bet she liked companionship. I liked companionship. I liked having someone in my house. I liked that person with me. But yet at the same point, I have found contentment and I found peace and I found joy and there are certain things I get to do as a single. And I get to do them because, one, my kids were away at college. <laughs> I didn't have kids to go home to. I didn't have a husband to go home to. They're, they were not my primary concern 
these last four years. I could focus on the things that God had for me because I was in this single place. And um, there's a difference between um, being single and being celibate. So single, you still may choose that you want someone in your life. You still may date. You may still get to know people. You may choose to do that. And I, I want to speak to the singles that if you are in that place where you're dating, honor God in your dating. Honor God in your singleness. If you're in the place where you're married, honor God with your marriage. Let your marriage be that, that shining example of him and the church. Don't let anything be tainted or stained in your marriage. Allow your love to be so pure that when people look at you, they say, wow, what a beautiful picture of the way Christ loves his church, the way that husband loves that wife. And if you're single, let your light so shine that says, Jesus is her husband. Jesus, Jesus is the one for her. Look at how she can serve. Look at how she can go after God. Look at the way she is in full surrender to him. That's what you should be doing if you're single. If you're dating, let your relationship be one that is honoring, as if it was your brother and your sister, because they are your brother and sister in Christ. If you wouldn't do something with a brother or sister, don't do it with the person you're dating. That's dishonoring to God. That's dishonoring to that person. If you can't sit in the sanctuary as a brother and sister in Christ and worship the Lord because of sin in your relationship, then that's not the right relationship for you. I, I wanna, I'm, I'm gonna get really blunt. So as a single adult, I was married 21 years. And uh, <laughs> that's a long time. <laughs> it was a good time. And you get used to things in your life, but just because they were in your married life doesn't mean they're supposed to be in your single life. God calls us all to be holy. And there are standards of holiness within marriage. There are standards of holiness in our singleness. And we need to understand and walk that out. Our purity is so important to the Lord, whether we're married, whether we're single. And then I said I was going to talk about being celibate. And celibate is that next step. And that is a call from God saying, I believe God has called me and given me a grace to be single, whether that's for a season or whether that's for a lifetime. And that is a grace that's upon you. That isn't a grace that's upon everyone. And it's okay if that's not the grace on your life. If you want to marry, if you have a desire to be married, he who desires and finds a good wife finds a good thing. We know that scripture. It's a good thing. It was good that they weren't alone, but God brought the helper suitable for them. But if God has given you a grace to be single and to serve him, then honor that honor that. And it may be a season or it may be a lifetime. And the Lord is the one that'll speak that to you. One time I went to Kansas City to the International House of Prayer. And um, this was in like 2001. They were still in the little trailer. Like they didn't do the live broadcast. Hardly anyone had heard of this little place in this trailer that was praying 24 hours a day. But I remember the thing I walked away from the most in that encounter was that night, it was their Friday night fire service. They had this young lady come up and she was probably 25. And for the last few years, she'd been meeting with a mentor and God had been leading her to 
a more of a, like a monastic life, to be celibate the rest of her life, to commit her life like Anna to the Lord, that she willingly gave up her rights to marry. It's not a sin to marry, but she was willingly giving that up for the call of God to seek him. And uh, she was in a time of preparation, just like when a bride is getting ready for her wedding, this lady was going through a process of preparing for this life. She was going to go away and, and actually hang out with some nuns and learn what it was like to give up those things in her life and how to prepare for that. Because she knew if she made this commitment publicly, and she was going to make it publicly, that this was a lifelong commitment for her. God may be calling someone here to that but he may, not, he may not be. But that is a, a call from the Lord. But in all of it, whether you're single, whether you're celibate, whether you're married, you need to honor the Lord with your body. You need to honor the Lord with the relationships in your life. And, uh, and I'll, I'll just say this. If you are single and you have any questions and you want to talk more about it or you're struggling, I'm happy to talk with you. It's been quite the journey being single. It's not easy. Kudos to you. God bless you. It's hard. And it's especially hard if you've been in a, in a long-term relationship, if you've been married. It's especially hard to set those things aside. But God wants to meet you, whether it's for a season, whether it's for a lifetime, or whether it's just in the transition to help you honor him and be an example for him. So I hope that spoke to someone she was also a woman. Women weren't very thought very highly of then. But we know from Psalm 68:11 that the Lord gives the word and the women who announce the news are a great host. She was the first one to go out and tell everybody about Jesus. It was a woman. It was a woman. Did you guys realize that? The, uh, at this point, the wise men hadn't made it yet to Jesus, so she was the first one declaring. The shepherds came and announced his birth, but she went out to everyone she knew telling. She was like the woman at the well who went out and told, this man knows everything about me. He told me everything. She was like Lydia who went out and told of Jesus. She was like Priscilla and Junia and others. Great is the host of the women who declare and proclaim the good news. God's raising up women. It's pretty fun. Like, it's exciting to be a woman today. And uh, it's exciting to be in this church and see what God is doing. Last night, we had an amazing women's night. I heard there was a, such a powerful word. We have such amazing women. And God is using them in their homes, in their families, in their marketplaces, just like he does with the men. Like, we need each other. One isn't more important than the other. We're all in this together. And that's why there was a Simeon and there was an Anna. Because God is showing that we all have purpose, we all have expectations. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Your focus determines your finish. What are you focused on? Where is your expectation? We learned from what was prophesied over Jesus, that he would be a light to the Gentiles. Christ enlightens our eyes. In our growth track, if you went through growth track, which we'll do again in January, you heard Ephesians 1, 18. 
where it says that the eyes of your understanding are being enlightened, that you may know the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. I love that. Christ has come to enlighten your eyes. And that word enlighten, this is so cool. Learned this is that word enlighten is the Greek word photizo, the one we get photograph. So think of like a Polaroid. You know, he's come to enlighten your eyes. He's come to give you a picture, a picture, like a Polaroid of what he wants to do. I believe that God wants to release that over each of our lives, that we would see those plans that he has for us, that we can hold on to it, that we can walk in hope and have an expectation for our future. Recently, a few of us went up to the SEER conference in um, Chicago with Ian and Rachel Carroll, and it was amazing. So like, I went not knowing what to expect. <laughs> How many of us go places not knowing what to expect? I think we're gonna go with a little more experience expectation now, but I went to that with like not knowing what to expect. And uh, at one point in the day, I think we all experienced and encountered and saw whether it was seeing in our hearts, seeing with our eyes. Um, they had us pause. And for about five minutes, they said, is there a situation in your life that you need to hear from God on? And so they just had us all pause. And it was either in our destiny, our health, or a relationship that you need to, God to just give you a picture of something that you can hold on to, and then we're going to pray it. And I can remember at that time, I paused, and um, I was praying about the, the area that struck me was destiny. Like, God, what do you want with my life? Like, what do you want? And, um, and God gave me a picture. And later, as we were driving back, we had about an hour drive back, we sat in the car in the van and started talking like, what did God show you? What are you believing God for? And we shared those pictures with one another. And it was cool because the picture I had had was the same picture that Tyler ended up having later in the day when he was praying for me. And, uh, and I said, did it look like this? And I showed him a picture. He's like, that's exactly what it looked like. It was so cool. So now when I go to my prayer closet, I can picture that, that photograph God gave me, and I can say, God, this is what you want to do in my life, and I'm going to step into it. I may not know how I'm going to get from here to there, but it's coming because you've given me that picture. Uh, uh, when my kids were little, they made these prayer posters, and on the prayer posters, they would have pictures of what they were praying for. They'd have people. Um, they were in preschool at the time, and they went to Hope Lutheran Preschool. They had a picture of that pastor. They had a picture of our pastor. They had pictures of things that they wanted or whatever. But every night, they'd lay up in their bed, and it was attached to the wall, and they'd lay their hands on the picture and pray. <laughs> it was the cutest thing. And they were four years old. They were four years old praying and believing because they could see it. And that's what we need to have. We need to have that expectation, and God wants to give that to us. Again, from the book by Dr. Michael Brown. He has a five-step process for achievement or failure. He said, first you choose to hear with your ears and see with your eyes. So that's the first choice we make. 
Recently, to all of our leaders in one of our leadership gatherings, Pastor Mike asked every leader to spend five minutes a day in silence. We're really good about coming to God with our lists and pounding heaven. And it's good. We need to. But sometimes we just need to shut up and say, God, what are you wanting to say? What are you wanting to reveal? What are you wanting to speak? And so for about the last week, I've been taking these five minutes just to sit. And I set a timer on my phone. And um, it takes a little bit to get into it. And then I'm always shocked when the timer goes off. It's like, oh, it's over. (laughs) Some days I've reset it. Some days I've just continued. But it's been a good discipline that I'm building into my life of being still, of being silent, and choosing to hear what God would say to me. And uh, even the topic for this message came out of one of those five minutes. (laughs) As I was sitting, not knowing, and I knew what Pastor Mike was facing this week, and But I was just sitting and it was like I just kept thinking about, he just kept talking to me about expectation, having an expectation and about being an Anna and a Simeon. And what would that mean to have that expectation? So you never know what God will speak to you about. After you choose to hear, you need to choose to believe in your heart what you've chosen to hear with your ears or see with your eyes. So the first step is choosing to hear. The second step is choosing to believe it. So that's from going from the hope to the expectation, going from the feeling to the belief. God wants to take us out of just, I hope my family member's gonna get saved, I hope I'm gonna have a job tomorrow, to the expectation that God is gonna provide for every need I have, that God is bringing my prodigal home, that God is restoring this relationship. So the second part, like I said, is choosing to believe. The third is choosing to meditate in your mind upon what you have chosen to believe in your heart. So, like I shared, I uh, have this picture now that Tyler confirmed for me. So when I'm in my prayer time and everything seems opposite of this picture, I say, Lord, I choose to think on that. I choose to believe you first that what you said is true. And then I choose to think about what would that look like when that comes to pass. I meditate. I muse on it. I consider all the different ways that would play out. I did that with my son. Once I had the picture of the snow falling and the graduation, I would meditate (laughs) when I would be worried. Instead of staying in my worry of, is this really going to happen? I choose to put that picture before my mind and say, Lord, you are going to see this to the finish line. He is crossing that stage. He is getting that diploma. So you meditate on it. Then number four, you choose to speak with your mouth that which you choose to meditate upon in your heart. So I didn't initially tell people about my vision of Drew and the snowflakes. (laughs) But over time, I did. As I started to meditate on it, it became part of me. I started to speak it out. And that's really, we would use the term prophesying. I was prophesying what God had said. I was speaking it into existence. I was believing that it was going to happen. And the last is you choose to conduct your life upon principles that you choose to speak with your mouth. So not only did I speak it, he's graduating, I started putting my money where my mouth was. (laughs) 
I started preparing for graduation. I started getting things lined up. I started saving money for the cap and gown. I started getting everything ready and moving towards that. And whatever that is in your life, if God has said something to you, you've chosen to believe it, you know it's God's word, Start thinking about it, meditating on it, rehearsing it in your mind. Then start speaking it out, and then start acting on what he has said. Those are the five principles. And if you can choose to do that and line up with what God is saying, or you can choose to not. It's your choice. You can meander, or you can mountaineer. And I want to, I want to mountaineer. I want to climb some mountains with y'all. I think it's exciting what God is doing here. We've had so many prophetic words about what God wants to do. And I know that God is raising up Simeon's and Anna's all over this place. He had spoken it in prayer a few months ago that there were Simeon's and Anna's sitting right here who have believed for years for promises and believed they would see them with their own eyes. You know, Abraham believed, but he only saw the beginning of it. But God is about to, to release some of those promises, some of those things that you've been believing for, some of those children that you've been believing would come back are starting to come back. For months, we prayed a list of 77 names, and we were calling them out, believing God to bring back our prodigals, that God was going to turn around in their life, and we're starting to see them return. We're believing that it happened. We meditated on it. We spoke it out, and we're seeing it happen. What are those things in your life that you need to start choosing to align your life with what God has said? What is your mountain? Your mountain may never be standing up here and preaching a sermon. Your mountain may never be teaching a Bible study or even uh, having a Fortune 500 company. But that might be your mountain. You have mountains in every area of your life, personally, professionally, spiritually, uh, with your children, in your finances, with your service. What is the mountain God's asking you to take? And what is the mountain he's asking you to take this year? You know, like maybe God's given you a vision for 20 years from now, or like Anna for 84 years from now. But there's steps he wants you to take right now in that mountain to start climbing. He wants us to believe his report. Anna and Simeon gave their life with singular vision. They had singular vision, singular focus. You know, when you take a picture, you want, a focus, you want a focused picture. You know, sometimes we like the little soft edges, but we like, if there's a face, we like to see the face. We like to know what is in focus. And God is, is bringing some things into focus for us. I really believe it, that he wants the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. He wants us to set our heart upon him. He is longing to come and move in our life and reveal those things. He doesn't want us divided. What is that vision that he's given you? And what can you do about it? I think sometimes we think our vision has to be spiritual. Um, like some grand ministry. But maybe the grandest ministry you have is as a grandma baking cookies and sitting down at a table with your grandkids and sharing Jesus with them. Because you don't know who they will become. You don't know what you're imparting in them. Maybe God's calling, my sons both are going to be teachers at different levels. I believe God has called them to do that. 
I believe that that is a call to be a public school teacher. And that's an amazing call to take Jesus in there every day. As a student, you are called to carry Jesus, to carry the presence of Jesus with you everywhere you go. I'm a paralegal. I had a call to that office. I needed a job, just to be honest, I really needed a job when I got that job, and I'm grateful for it. But as I sat with my boss and was interviewed, he said, this is, it's still crazy to me, this was the worst time in my life. I was suddenly single. And he said, I'm hiring you because of your positive attitude, and I want you to come in and change the atmosphere of the office. And our goal was to see it be positive instead of so negative. That was the mountain I was to take, was the attitudes of Marinosi Law Group. And that was the mountain I've been taking for six years. And sometimes the greatest attitude I have to adjust is my own. <laughs> What's the mountain you're called to? Is your mountain to go to the mill and be a light in the mill? Is it to witness to every man or woman that comes past, you know, the, um, your role? You never know, but God wants to give you a vision. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and we're going to say a prayer. If you need your heart set on him, if you need that vision, if you need the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you would know the hope of your calling, your calling. God has a specific calling for each one of you, tailor designed just for you, and he wants to release that. I'm going to invite the prayer team and our pastors, our elders to come up and pray. If you want someone to pray with you and seek God with you for that vision so that you can have that expectation, that you can move from just having a hope that someday God's going to bring things about to an expectation that you can hang your hat on. I'm going to invite you to come. So, Lord, I just thank you, God, that you have come today to make us like Simeon's and Anna's. You have come to give us a future and a hope. You have come to birth expectation within us, Lord. I pray for those whose expectations have been dashed. Oh, God, that they would get a clear vision from you, that they would get a clear picture of what you desire, oh, God, and that they would see you in the midst of it. I pray, oh God, that you would release your spirit over this place, that it would rest upon each one, even as we go from this place, oh God, that we would be in alignment, that we would achieve the things that you have for us, that we would climb our mountains this year, that we would ascend that hill of the Lord because we would have those clean hands and the pure heart. Oh God, would you lead us and would you reveal your plans for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church.